Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Jeff Baumgartner, Senior Editor at Light Reading. And this is David Strauss, Co-Founder and Principal of Broadband Success Partners. And Jay Rolls, CTO of Broadband Success Partners. Excellent. Hi, guys. Uh, great to have you here on the Light Reading Podcast. Um, you know, I think it's been a while since we've had an opportunity to catch up. So today, I think we have lots and lots we're going to try to cover. Uh, but before we dig in, uh, maybe I'll have one of you give kind of the, the quick review on who and what broadband success partners are for the people who sure. aren't familiar. Very good. Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks, Jeff. So um, Broadband Success Partners uh, was founded uh, by me and Jack Burton, uh, co-founder, uh, back in 2017. And back in 2018, uh, we started focusing on serving the needs of service providers, as well as investors, private equity firms, infrastructure funds in need of technical due diligence services. Uh, Jay joined us about a year ago, and uh, we have a fourth person on the team, Randy Kinsey, who had worked for Jay at both Cox and Charter, most recently at Point Broadband. And he just joined us as senior advisor about a month or two ago. And um, here we are, you know, almost five years later, having completed 43 technical due diligence engagements for about uh, 25 clients or so all across the U.S. and also internationally uh, in the U.K., Europe um, and Australia at this yeah. point. So that's now, who due, we are. Yeah. And due diligence. So, so what does that entail? Just real quick. I mean, do you actually sure. have to go there a lot and kind of kick the tires and look around or is there a lot of data that's provided where you can make an analysis? Well, a great question, and it's both. It's actually, phase one is done all remotely. Desktop analysis, we gain access to the virtual data room, uh, and we have about 100 or so questions in each engagement. And so we go through the data room, try to get answers to those questions, and then we interview management uh, to get answers to the unanswered questions and probe more deeply as need be. And then phase two is doing, as you had suggested, kicking the tires, going on site, inspecting inside and outside plant, the knock, meeting the local technical folks. Not every engagement gets to the phase two for a variety of reasons. The bidder might fall out of the process or decide that this opportunity isn't ideal for them. Uh, but uh, generally that's the methodology and each of those phases can take anywhere from two to four weeks. Okay, great. Well, thanks for that overview. And you know, you give you, you gave a pretty good round number in terms of engagements and so forth, and all the due diligence projects you've done. Uh, but what are the the big priorities right now for the rest of the year for you guys, and what's expected to be big maybe next year? Because I think about a year ago, I think when Jay first came on board, we talked a little bit about the update on the M&A due diligence. So, you know, priorities, what's the, what's the temperature like on the M&A front right now? Well, our priorities, I mean, we started 2022 with a focus on growing uh, beyond North America. And we are starting to do that beyond what I mentioned earlier. Uh, we just learned earlier today of an opportunity in Brazil that we're going to be working on. And, and by the way, when we work internationally, there are occasions where we need to hire local expertise, you know, very seasoned technical professionals. Um, I see. And, 
Well, I yes. was wondering, like, who who gets to pull the straw on uh, making the international travel? You, you or Jay or Jack? Or- well, Jay, Jay yeah. actually did did get. I don't know if you call it the long straw or the short straw. <laughs> <laughs> depends. I don't know. I, I guess it depends on the week or the month or uh, or, yeah. the, or the country, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. but no, he yeah. he ended up in the UK earlier this year and yeah. did a very interesting on-site inspection. Uh, mm-hmm. It was actually more wireless related, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, and then we've got something going on right now in the continent that may require a uh, visit uh, by us. But there are occasions when the client really wants local expertise on the ground in the field. And thus, through our networks, we're able to line up uh, talent. So that's 2022 uh, as far as a growth strategy. I mean, most of our business today continues to be obviously from the U.S., uh, but going into 23, we think there's an opportunity actually to do due diligence in the public sector, as we've been doing the private sector now for four or five years. So when you consider the $65 billion of infrastructure funding, broadband funding, that's coming down the pike here, um, perhaps there's an opportunity, and we're just exploring it at this stage, where we could help the state broadband offices evaluate those grant applications no doubt the broadband offices have technical resource, but, you know, we've been doing this for a number of years and perhaps we can add our expertise in the mix. Well, it feels like the, just the, the sheer scale of that is like is unprecedented. Yes. You yes. Know, with and, respect and to the public side. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, we're, we're very excited about it. And and frankly, we'd have to grow our team probably pretty significantly to accomplish that, depending yeah. on the number of states we can engage with. Uh, but, um, yeah, we think that's a natural fit for us actually. Yeah. Cause it feels like you at least would have, you know, kind of a, a blueprint, but maybe a blueprint that can be customized to a degree to, to handle that part of the business. So, well, let yeah. us know how that goes. Right. So, we'll do. We'll do. All right. Well, one thing, um, I want to talk a little bit about like the fiber craze <laughs> going on right now, obviously with, with the infrastructure bill and everything there, there's a lot of activity going on there. You know, we are seeing uh, M and a related to fiber. We're seeing operators upgrade the fiber you know, overbuild themselves. I mean, there's a lot going on. So the question is what's the temperature on investor interest in fiber Because in our prep, David, you mentioned you're, you know, you're seeing no abatement, in that. So is interest getting hotter or have we kind of reached this happy medium of sorts? And, you know, Jay, you can weigh in too. I'm just curious. Yeah, Jay, what's going you on. want to start, Jay? And I can add. Well, I would just say that uh, we it's very strong and not abating. So um, I, I am a little surprised that, that you know, the, the economic environment has not sort of have a little bit of an impact there, although maybe that will maybe there's a delay there, and we'll notice in you know another quarter or two. But um, it has not slowed down. I would even say it might be a little stronger than we saw six months ago. Um, so a lot of activity, a lot of interest, um, and a lot of different models. Uh, we may talk about this later, but we've lately seen some providers. Uh, attacking a wholesale model for fiber for, for, um, residential connections. So, well, let, yeah, let's hit on that now since you brought it up. So how, how would that work? This is like, if I have excess capacity on my network and I want to monetize it or how, how does that 
come together? Well, What's I'll give you a recent example, and in, in most cases we can't talk about our engagements, but I can I can describe it uh, generically. Um, it was a provider building a fiber network in a medium-sized city. Um, this one actually did go to phase two, so I went on site to look at it, and uh, they're it, they're just starting. I mean, they're they're about maybe a year into the build and just getting ready to connect their very first customers. And it is a it is a uh, complete wholesale model. They have no intention of having direct uh, contact with the consumers. That will be done by the providers that that uh, decide to connect to their network and be one of their yeah. retail providers. So uh, I just oh, thought that was fascinating. I have it's a it's a business model. I have no, I, I mean, I think they've probably done their homework, so they can probably make that work, but I'll be interested to see how it goes. So it, that also, just to add to what Jay has said, that goes by the name of an open access network. So evidently, this model has traction in Europe and is early days here in the States. So remains to be seen if there's an appetite for it, if the economics of it work. But, you know, as Jay noted, they're basically will be open to bring any and all ISPs into the mix. And then the question becomes is how do the ISPs, you know, generate customers or gather customers from that? And there's, of course, the pricing aspect of it. It could be a race to zero conceivably, uh, but they can distinguish one another from them, each other from themselves through value added services, for example. Yeah, that's really interesting, right? Because you're, you're right. I think the, I was going to say, it sounds like an open access model. And you know, you're right. We don't see it happen a lot in the uh, the U.S. But, you know, broadband is a very high margin product generally. But how does the equation change, right, in that in that environment? And uh, I think I think another interesting thing uh, that, that your listeners might find of interest is um, in this network, they were doing active Ethernet. They, they chose that as their model. Mm. Instead of PON, they're doing active Ethernet. So that Why, was interesting. What was the uh, reasoning for that? Uh, better economics. Really? Um, and we probably okay. could do a whole podcast just on <laughs> PON versus active Ethernet because it gets into a lot of detail. But yeah, that was interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I, I can't remember the last time I, I did like uh, a story that like focused on active Ethernet. I guess I'm going to have to spend some time digging in on it. Okay. And then uh, we're going to talk about cable specifically, but before we, we kind of dig into what's happening there, which is another interesting thing. Um, what are you seeing with respect to action in the broadband market that goes beyond like billboard speeds and, and, you know, kind of the whole speeds and feeds market, you know, we're, we're into this multi gig world right now where uh, it's become this speed arms race, but there's a lot of activity with respect to other aspects of the service, reliability, managing the home network. Uh, so how has that kind of filtered down to where you guys focus on? Has it become a, a priority or is it kind of a ancillary aspect? Like, well, if we can uh, help with the home network or you know, better manage you know, things in the home that go beyond speeds, is this an important differentiator that's emerging with, with some of the folks you're talking to? Yeah, Jeff, I, I know that um, we recently attended the Cowan conference and there was a panel with the vendors. Um, this particular panel had Calix, 
Adtran and DZS, I think were the vendors. They talked a lot about that. They talked a lot about um, operators moving towards in-home type of services that would differentiate their products more and not just be about speed. Um, whether that plays out or not, uh, you know, is unclear to me and is a little bit ancillary to when we are doing our activities. I would say the place that we see it in, in doing um, our activities is with investors and operators assessing um, new new places to build. And there's a there's a big uh, there's a big sort of. Um, hedging that's going on about looking at footprints, who are the providers there, are there strong fiber providers already, and everybody's trying to go out and be either the first fiber provider or at most, you know, the second competent, you know, uh, high-speed broadband provider, um, because nobody wants to be the fourth or fifth uh, person showing <laughs> up in a, in a marketplace. And there seems to be a little bit of a land grab there going on. Everybody's trying to assess all these footprints and figure out where's my low hanging fruit? Where am I going to have the best odds if I come in as a new player? We see that a lot. Right. Now, that's a great point. I mean, uh, I, you know, one example that comes to mind is like White Open West and their Greenfield strategy. Mm -hmm. And they talk a lot about, well, you know, we're assessing, you know, we come in after we make this assessment to try to figure out, hey, what kind of return can we get on this? And uh, what what sort of penetration can we expect uh, in that market? And, you know, once it they analyze it and it hits a certain threshold to, to give it the go ahead, you know, that's when they proceed. And, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at, you know, a couple hundred thousand homes of, uh, network to do that. But it sounds like this is the type of analysis you're seeing a lot of. Yes. Yeah. I mean, once, you know, it, it, it's one thing if you have two or three providers in the market and can gain, you know, let's say one third of the share. But once you get north of that, I mean, it's hard to make that economic case, though we see a number of clients who've expressed interest in getting into some of these, you know, markets, which are, you know, in some cases a bit crowded to be honest with you. And, you know, back to your question about speed. I mean, Jay's absolutely right vis-a-vis -vis distinguishing yourselves uh, as a provider with other things. But speed is very much in the conversations we have with our clients. And, and you know, and I think that feeds into, well, I can only get that with fiber. And that then leads into another conversation. Well, maybe not. Perhaps you can get very good and you can get very good performance you know, as you already know, through mid splits and high splits, and I know that's part of what you wanted to speak about, mm -hmm. these are paper, cable assets. And, you know, furthermore, another thing we've seen since we've last spoken is our old telephone companies, right? I mean, there are dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of them, you know, in every state, right? They represent infrastructure that is obviously pretty aged. The company could be a family owned company, 100 plus years old, uh, but that perhaps represents an opportunity for upgrade. And, and perhaps growth. So that's an interesting model we're seeing out there. We're also seeing mm -hmm. a ton of fixed wireless assets. Their interest in investors in upgrading where it makes economic and demographic sense to do so. So, you know, it's a smattering of things, uh, but um, yeah, there's a lot of activity out there. Yeah, and it still feels that uh, even if, if some, some of the industry are trying to get away from it, it's hard to get away from 
speed and price. It's just the consumers have been so conditioned on that, whether or not they know how much speed they actually need to do what they do in their home or their home office or whatever it is. And they're like, well, that's, that's a bigger number than the other number. And, and, you know, the price is this versus that. And, uh, you know, whether you're throwing in a, uh, an extra Wi-Fi extender. <laughs> I don't know if that's, you know, enough to kind of tip the scale, you know, one way or the other, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves, you know, that, that, that market discussion. But uh, I, I, I yeah. would add that Jonathan Chaplin at New Street, uh, which is mm-hmm. an analyst, did a piece earlier this year where they, he said um, in his analysis that a two-player market and he, the, the, the prime example is a fiber provider and a cable provider, um, that, that that's a perfectly fine situation. And both of those entities can have a very fine business. Um, he suggested when the third one comes in is when it's, you know, economically starts to get a little problematic. So Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And I think that, that third one in, in some of these cases have been like a fixed wireless provider coming in or yeah fiber but uh and i guess if if you have a i guess it depends on the market you might have um a company that in the market is one of the two and maybe they're in a very weakened state and you know they're they're in mm-hmm. in a position where they could be toppled or damaged or uh, where, where you can actually go in and and make an impact uh financially and make it worth your while so interesting okay well we um we spent a lot, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the direction of the cable guys and the cable operators and their access networks and we, we talked about this earlier uh, a few minutes ago but there's a lot of options on the table right now for the cable guys you know we're seeing fiber to the prem overbuilds you know obviously in greenfield that's a different story but and then the idea of like doxus mid splits and high splits that can beef up the upstream uh doxus 4.0 down the road but when your conversation is with the cable guys what, what kind of patterns are you seeing is it is it kind of all across the board here kind of a smattering it, it doesn't really feel like there's one specific path that everyone's going to travel I, I surprisingly we do we tend to see see it all. Um, we we see a wide breadth here. I, I I would say most cable operators are on a path of of realizing that for modest investments they can they can stay competitive probably you know clearly for the next decade. But we saw a couple of cases where um, in one case an investor coming in and buying a or interest in buying a very fine coax network, uh, one of the best I've seen, and having a strong interest in converting some of it to fiber. Uh, just sort of a, if nothing else, just a strong belief that that long term, that's what they need to do. And so it really is in the mind of, of who you're talking to. Or is this, you know, I find like the people that have just like the total operator mentality, you know, sort of the world I came from, they're thinking about modest upgrade just in time, you know, spend no money before you have to um, keep that going. Uh, when you maybe you look through the eyes of an infrastructure fund or a, a private equity fund and they just look at it differently. And so to some degree, it 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 
those factors are maybe larger than, you know, just doing math here and to figure out what the right answer is. Yeah. I mean, to, to add to that, I mean, I, and, and it's, we're in an interesting spot in that we're often educating our clients, right? So, you know, fiber being the bright, shiny object, so to speak, as Jay just noted a moment ago, they gravitate toward that without necessarily realizing what can be done at lower cost to get really strong and and solid performance. Another thing I would add, you referenced it, uh, Jeff, a moment ago, is DOCSIS 4.0. The number of clients we have spoken to who have read about 4.0 and think that it's imminent, it's more than a handful of clients, right? So there we're educating them that, you know, it's not all set. The costs aren't all yet known, the equipment and so on and so forth. So the point being that when it, you know, they see the headlines and that guides their agenda. And then we come in and we say, well, certainly under consideration, but think about this, think about that. I don't know if you want to add to that, Jay. Well, that's where I came up with my DOCSIS 3.5 provocative term. You know, if nothing else but to jolt somebody into going, whoa, 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 what do you mean by that? You know, Right. Well, because we we have some history in the market where, you know, if if you start adding your own uh, decimals um, on DOCSIS, (laughs) you're getting into trouble, right? I remember the DOCSIS 1.2 days and Terion got smacked around for that hey, that's that's right that's old that's yeah. old history but it still reminds me of of that uh but yeah 3.5 is in you know if, and, and let me make my disclaimer Jay's, there is yeah this is jay's there's description no, <laughs> there's no such thing as docs 3.5 uh, right. but when i say that i'm i'm meaning high split in 1.2 gigahertz right. so right Good. And then, David, you, you talk, you know, we can talk a little bit about this. I don't think, I don't know how much more there is to add, but in May, uh, we're, we're talking about costs, right, for for this. You said, hey, well, we don't know everything yet that we need to know uh, for DOCSIS and so forth. But you know, there, Cal put out a report, there were some estimates, I, I think, from you guys about the incremental cost per home for a 4.0 network upgrade. You know, the range, I think, was I'm just going to rattle off numbers, but it's like 150 to 300 and another 100 per home for mid-split or high-split upgrades. And, you know, that services a range, you know, 250 to 400 per household pass, right? And again, that was based on what you knew at the time uh, with the caveat that we don't know everything yet. But has there been any change in those estimates since then, kind of based on what you're aware of uh, on the product front? Well, first, I would reverse the order of those. So the high split 1.2 and $100, that, that, that is something that's usually going to come first for a lot of operators um, before they look at, at 4.0. And um, no, I, I wouldn't say that I, it's a goal that I want to, I want to, you know, get this number more fleshed out. I think it's a knowable <laughs> number. Um, mm-hmm. Even, you know, there, of course, we're waiting for equipment. Uh, costs from the 4.0 vendors. But beyond that, um, the, the noble numbers that, that I would love to get some more information and if anybody wants to offer up some help here on, on game is um, what, what kind of labor are we looking at for doing, you know, the passive, uh, the passive change out in a network? Because as you know, Jeff, there's 10 times the number of passes in a, in a cable network than there are the actives. And although they tend to be less expensive devices, splitters and taps, 
um, they uh, they're going to be uh, there's going to be labor there to to do yeah. that in mass. So right, because four point oh is uh, uh, different in, in in the way that Docs's upgrades have been done in the past, right? Because you've got DAA in there, you got to touch the plant. Before it was just like, hey, I touch the two ends of the the network essentially, and I'm done. And it's eight bucks, you know, per home pass or whatever it was round for for three dot one. Um, but this is an entirely different situation, and I and maybe that's another reason why some operators are giving more thought about uh, what to do next. And it's not just uh, you know the, the I'm uh, routed in this specific direction just because everyone else is doing it. It, it just feels like a lot more time is being spent trying to figure out what the next step is going to be. Yes. And, and uh, it's even, it's even coming earlier than people really want it to. Um, and mm. the example there, and we see this with operators is the high split. Um, a lot of, a lot of the actives out there, the nodes and amps aren't, are old enough. They're not capable of doing the high split. So now they're going to have to swap out their amps and nodes to do a high split. Well, turns out that just opens up another, like a whole box of like, wow, well, if I got to swap this gear out, what am I putting in? Am I putting in 1.2? Am I putting in 1.2 DAA? Am I trying to wait for 1.8? Am I going to put in 1.2 nodes, but 1.8 amp? I mean, there's, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made there and it's, it's complicated. Right. Yeah. And, and I guess that all just fits into why, so many different paths have emerged on where to go. It's not just a, a single path. It's not a fork in the road. It's, it could be uh, five different directions you could go in based on where you are and what the costs are. I mean, it, it's a much deeper analysis that has to be run this time than it did when 3.1 was coming up. You know? Correct. Yeah, and it's, more, it's more splintering of the mm -hmm. of the landscape than I've ever seen. Uh, normally, the operators have tended to go in a single direction. This is the mm -hmm. most uh, splintering I've seen of directions of where operators are going. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. Well, that's okay. And we're you know we we see that firsthand, not just in our conversation with operators, but also you know when a, a PE firm, for example, or an infrastructure fund wants us to look at a target. Uh, it's not unusual in phase one to actually opine and do an analysis around those various upgrade paths, right? I mean, they may have come in, the investor, the bidder with the, as I said earlier, the orientation toward fiber, but as part of the education process, we're, we're detailing all those various paths and then having a, you know, deep conversation with them about, you know, what might be the right path. Ultimately, they and the operator will decide, but we're there to provide, you know, advice and counsel, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Good. And I know we talked a lot about uh, technology and, and upgrades and, and trying to figure out what those decisions are. On, on the business end, I, I wanted to have you guys weigh in on it a little bit. Um, you know, U.S. cable subscri broadband subscriber growth is – slowed down. In some cases, it's gone negative for some of the companies. Uh, but kind of given the, the state of competition, do you think a cable operator needs to be more focused on margins and, and you know, keeping prices where they are and, and saying, hey, it's a high margin business? 
or is it all about share and you know coming in with like lower prices and doing promotions because it seems like the industry is really getting punished on the subscriber counts uh, but to fix that you you got you got you got to play a balancing act here and the jay up David, you're the you're the go to market guy. So Who I'll, wants I'll that one? Who wants yeah. that one? <laughs> you know, I, I this is not per se an area of expertise for either of us or anyone else of us at BSP. But What's I will opinion? say, well, the opinion is I, I think the the street's been pretty harsh, frankly, mm-hmm. on 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 these operators, and you know, I think there's sometimes a myopic focus on that you know on that number. Right. And if that number subscriber growth, that is. Or well, it's so easy count. the number, right? It's goes up or down, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. But there's yeah, a lot more yeah. to the business and, yeah, and, and yeah. you know, the quality of those customers and so on and so forth. Yes, it's, it's almost too easy. Right. Mm-hmm. So you gravitate toward that. I mean, look, uh, we all come from from that world and, you know, hats off, for example, to the tier ones and the tier twos as well that have embraced mobile. Right. I mean, the mobile counts, I mean, I I think when it comes to the retention of customers, that they are in a a somewhat enviable position, to be honest with you, because they have basically wrapped them up both from a wired and a wireless perspective. I happen to be a a Spectrum mobile customer. I had been a Verizon customer, have had no issues whatsoever, and I'm actually saving money. So, you know, all that said, I, I... I, I I think, as I said at the outset, I think the street's been pretty harsh. Yeah. Well, it's, you bring up an interesting point because I think on uh, historically for the cable industry is always, you know, never been the, the industry that gives consumers the warm and fuzzies, you know, <laughs> on just about anything. But for some reason now, I think it's because of the, uh, uh, you know, the pricing and, and stuff like that uh, and, and the, the quality of the product. Suddenly, they they're thought of as uh, uh, an awesome alternative, and I guess it's always good to, to, when you're not the incumbent. <laughs> is the other part of the story, but you still have to back it up with something that that people like. Yeah. I, I think that uh, the fiber providers who are coming in and building, particularly in the new build, um, that's expensive. It's very expensive, and I think they have mm-hmm. a pretty. They've done their models. Till the till the cows come home, right? And I think they <laughs> yeah. know when they are making a profit, and not, and so they they have a lot of pressure on their ARPU to to make sure their business models work. So I think I think that's one that one thing that might help cable operators is they're going to have a lot. Those they they may stay rational, right? If everybody is a rational uh, you know player, then um, everybody should do fine, but uh, yeah, if you race for share or, you know, you race for premium product, but you give up count or, you know, it, that it, that could get a little dangerous. Now, the the sort of the, you know, the new the new entrants, which are mainly the mobile operators selling fixed wireless. And then and then, of course, um, you know, maybe um Maybe you've got satellite guys are all on the fringe, but um, and and some fixed wireless um, uh, non-mobile operators, but those are um, those seem to be finite resources that 
I, I don't, I think it adds to the noise. I think it adds to the, absolutely the competitive picture, but I don't think they run away with this business. So, yeah, well, that was the last thing I wanted to bring up. Yeah. It was fixed wireless because it, David, you'd mentioned earlier that that's part of your discussions right now, depending on certain situations. Right. And fixed right. wireless is definitely having, this moment, you know, it's like it's the the hot thing right now, again, because of the subscriber counts. You, you look at what Verizon and, and T-Mobile are doing now. But then if you look at how Verizon's doing on the wireline side, it's a much different story. Right. But there, yeah. but you get credit for the for the, the fixed wireless stuff. So, uh, again, well, I guess my question, though, is, uh, yeah, what kind of runway is fixed wireless have? I mean, there, there, there's a lot of discussion about. Uh, the capacity constraints and spectrum constraints, and you have to be careful with how you're marketing it and where, because you don't want to have it dominate your, uh, your mobile service, which is really your bread and butter. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the fixed, the, sorry, the fixed wireless we're seeing that I was referencing earlier isn't the likes of what you're referencing there. Okay. It's, it's, it's not akin to what we see from Verizon and T-Mobile, though those numbers are impressive. But the fixed wireless, we're saying, is entry into a market and, or have been in the market for some time providing that service and seeing the need for additional capital to fiberize you know, parts of the network where it makes sense to do so. I mean, as a strategy to get into a market and not have to deal with make-ready issues and things of that nature, or you, know, you can get into the market faster. And we have seen that strategy and perhaps lock up customers, so to speak, uh, fairly quickly and then follow on with the longer process of, of running fiber into parts of that market. That's what I was referencing. It's not so much what you're you're alluding to. Okay. But, I would, but I would say that the fixed wireless, uh, that, yeah, I call that purpose built fixed wireless. Right. And we're really only seeing that in the rural rural footprint. We're not seeing that in suburban or city. We're not seeing like starry kind of kind of deals. Um, okay. But we see a lot in the rural. And it's usually it's modest. It's a hundred meg product. Um, but look, some of some of these folks don't haven't had broadband offerings at all. And so Yeah. hundred meg will look like a gig to them. Yeah. It's yeah, just right. based on what they've had, which in some cases has been nearly nothing. So all right. Right. Well, good. Well, I know we covered a ton of ground. I think that's where we're going to leave it today. But uh, David and Jay, it was great to, to have any, having you here today. Thanks for taking all those questions and, and, again, for covering a lot of ground on what's going on in the world of broadband. Well, thanks very much, Jeff. We, we very much appreciate the opportunity. Look forward yeah, to chatting again. Thanks for having us on. Always like sure. uh, reading your material. 